0: Red Six, this is Blue Actual. Do you copy, over? Roger, Blue Actual. Red Six copies. Red Six, bring up your platoon to the line. Roger, Blue Actual. We're on the move. Third platoon, let's go. Grab your gear, get ready, and prepare to move out. Go Condition One on all weapons systems. We are headed to the forward position of our lines. Remember your rules of engagement. Stay alert and communicate well. Move out. Welcome, my friends, to the View from the Front podcast. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine, an author, and a guy who spent more than 10 years in the news business. Every week, I primarily do three things. Cover emerging hotspots and foreign policy news that you absolutely should know, work to unite our country and remind us of how lucky we are to live in America, and finally, I always share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode. This podcast comes out every Thursday, so make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. And if you love the show, you can always help sustain and support the show for $5 per month, or you can sign up for a year and save 10 bucks, paying only $50 per year. And with all of that out of the way, let's get started. This is the May 11th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. My goodness, do we have a lot to cover today. In this episode, we'll be discussing quite a few topics which you probably haven't seen in the news As I always say, our media does a terrible job covering our military and potential hotspots, so I'm hoping to help fill fill this void. As you know, I have timestamps in the episode notes, so if you want to jump to a certain section, you can easily do so. And as always, we'll end with plenty of motivation and wisdom. We begin, as we so often do, with news about the war in Ukraine, with Russia and Ukraine obviously still locked in a really ugly war that's been going on for more than a year now. The first topic I wanted to cover was the news that Britain is preparing to send long-range missiles to Ukraine. And I'm going to go through what I prepared last night to discuss and then actually update it with some news that was breaking this morning. But let's just begin with the background on this. So Britain, which has obviously, for pretty much since the beginning, prided itself on being ahead of its Western allies, as the Washington Post reported, in introducing new weapons systems to Ukraine now appears ready to send Ukraine long-range missiles that the Biden administration has long denied Ukraine, even though they've wanted them for a long time. Now, according to the Washington Post, the missiles would have a range of up to nearly 200 miles, and Ukraine is ready to provide guarantees that the weapons would not be involved in any attacks on Russian territory. They would only be used on attacks that are on Russian targets in Ukrainian-occupied territory. Most likely, the news involves missiles known as storm shadow missiles, Uh, and so I wanted to talk about those a bit with some additional research I did, and then compare and contrast them with the much talked about uh, high Mars or high mobility artillery rocket system, which are those rockets that the US sent some time ago. So the Storm Shadow missiles, these are cruise missiles. They can be mounted on Ukraine's Soviet-made jets. So the idea is that these jets would fly toward the front line, release these missiles, which have just an extremely long range of almost 200 miles. Now, the HIMARS, those long-range missiles that the U.S. has sent, those are firing about 50 miles. So these missiles that Britain is going to send or may have sent, is 200 miles. So you got four times the range from 50 miles to 200 miles. But in addition to that, these cruise missiles that would be sent, these storm shadow missiles, their warhead is almost a thousand pounds. It's 990 pounds. On the other side of the of the flip side of the coin, the HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems, in most cases, their warheads are 200 pounds. So you've got a much larger, a warhead almost five times larger, from 200 pounds to almost a 1,000. So this is huge for what Ukraine needs to hit deeper than what they can currently. They want to hit more command posts. They want to hit ammunition dumps. Uh, logistical centers that are beyond the range of the HIMARS multiple launch rocket system. So again, it'd go from 50 miles to 200, and you're taking a warhead from 200 pounds to 1,000. So I prepared this segment last night and, w- and was going to record it today, Thursday morning. But then this morning, I woke up to see that CNN had breaking news that These, According to CNN and sources at CNN, and they're the only ones currently reporting this as of 9.16 a.m. on Thursday morning, Britain has already delivered some of these storm shadow missiles to Ukraine. And let me tell you, if you look at social media, all of the Russian channels on Telegram, their bloggers, their soldiers who have accounts that post from time to time, they are all completely freaked out because this has greatly expanded the range at which Ukraine can hit some of these Russian targets. Again, inside Ukraine, they would hit Russian positions inside Ukraine. Now, from the CNN story, the story is saying that Britain has supplied Ukraine with multiple storm shadow cruise missiles. So there may not be a bunch of these. These are pretty expensive weapon systems. They're pretty exclusive. And according to the story from CNN... Multiple senior Western officials informed CNN that they had these missiles. And additionally, there was the comment from Britain and one of the senior officials is that the UK has previously said it would supply Ukraine with long-range weapons that will now include a number of storm shadow missiles. The British government has been clear that this is only in response to Russia's deliberate targeting of civilian national infrastructure and is a proportionate response. So that was interesting. So according to that, we've talked a lot and I'm going to talk a bit more in just a a few moments about the targeting of civilians by Russia, which they continue to do. So apparently this has, because Russia has switched their attacks from hitting the critical infrastructure at the electrical substations, and they're now back to targeting apartment buildings as we talked about last week, and as we're going to talk about again here in just a moment. Britain has decided to take this step, which could encourage the U.S. to do the same. Let's certainly hope so. Let me make one small administrative note while we're on this subject. If you look at the CNN story, the Washington Post story, and then also look at some other Weapon system sources online. You will notice all of them have different ranges on what the range of this weapon is. Some say it's, it's some say it's a bit shorter. Some say it's a bit longer. So I'm not exactly sure what the system's uh, actual range is, and probably that's partly almost classified. But you will notice some variation. So if you hear me say you know 200 miles, and you see 185 or or a smaller amount on something else. You're going to if you just look into it a bit you're going to find lots of different ranges. So, I don't exactly know what the precise range is. I just want to tell you that in case you were to look that up. While we are on the subject of new weapons systems and weapons packages for Ukraine, Britain wasn't the only country that announced new weapons delivery. There's the US provided a 1.2 billion dollar package for air defense and artillery support that was announced this week. And one cool thing that I did want to say I've got a link to the things that will be provided but it's pretty vague with what the Defense Department's uh, actually telling folks about. But what is cool is I have a link in the source notes to a fact sheet for everything we have provided to date. The number of tanks, the number of artillery pieces, the number of rounds. It's a very detailed sheet that is really cool to look at that I happened to come across last night. So I'm putting that in the source notes. If you want to take a look at it, it's pretty amazing. We have talked a lot about the coming counteroffensive, and there was some news from that. Uh, Ukraine's President Zelensky says that Ukraine needs more time for its counteroffensive, and in an interview with some European broadcast stations, he said that his forces were, quote, ready, but that the army still needed some things, including armored vehicles that were, quote, arriving in batches. And uh, Zelensky said, with what we have, we can go forward and I think be successful, he said. But we lose a lot of people. I think that's unacceptable. So we need to wait. We still need a bit more time. Now, if you are a listener who pays attention, you will remember that last week or it might have been two weeks ago. These things kind of run together in my mind when Ukraine attacked the oil depots down in the crimean peninsula that one of the deputy ministers in ukraine said that the spring offensive had already began with that attack so or at least sort of beginning and i wish now i had um stated that person's name but Zelensky is now saying that's not the case even though we're about to in just a bit talk about some of the things that appear to be an offensive to me anyway so but i guess the big one is not started yet, according to President Zelensky. And the next little story I'm going to cover will explain probably partly why that's the case, and then I'll talk about how it looks like to me some of the offensive has already begun. I know this is all confusing. This is classic fog-of-war stuff, and some of it might even be Zelensky and some of the leaders underplaying or understating what's actually happening to keep the Russians from being too alert to what's actually happening on the front. Piggybacking on what I just said, the Washington Post had an article about it was headlined senior Ukrainian officials fear counterattack may not live up to hype. And they interviewed uh, the Ukraine's Defense Minister, uh, Reznikov and he said that the uh, in the he's reported in the Washington Post as saying that the expectation from our counter offensive campaign is overestimated in the world. And he said, quote, most people are waiting for something huge. And he said that he fears it will lead to an emotional disappointment. So Ukraine is worried that these planned counteroffensives might not lead to some kind of dramatic result. Even though, again, I've said many times, I believe they're still going to be. But they're at least downplaying them now. And they're worried that the West will... If these attacks aren't successful, we'll get emotionally, or that public opinion will start to say, why are we helping Ukraine, they can't win, Russia's dug in, let's just end the war. Which of course would lead to Russia still occupying a decent part of Ukraine that is not Russia's. One other thing I should mention from that Washington Post story is they do a good job of summarizing warfare and saying that, and I'll just read uh, one sentence from that article, Offensive military operations typically require overwhelming advantage, and with Russian forces dug into heavily fortified defenses all across the 900 mile long front, it is hard to gauge how far Ukraine will get. Now, my counter to that is what I've said in previous weeks and in previous episodes, which is that Ukraine's going to have nine mechanized brigades and they're going to hit this very wide line which is actually a disadvantage to the Russians and they're going to pierce it in one big place or maybe in multiple places and they're going to push and push fast and so I kind of I agree that military as they said offensive military operations typically require overwhelming advantage yes they do but they only do in specific spots because you're going to punch through a weakness and so you're going to have a massive advantage in a very narrow front. So you may have a 1,000 Russian troops covering, actually the number is probably more like 200, covering, you know, two miles or whatever that distance is, and you're going to bring up several thousand Ukrainian troops in NATO-equipped vehicles with much better optics, much better range, and they are going to just rip through them. They're going to have the mine-resistant vehicles, they're going to have the NATO vehicles that shoot out rockets with uh, a trailing rope of explosives to clear the mines. They're going to bust through these, I think, with very little uh, issue. We'll see. I've kind of put myself out there and said that this is, I'm going against what many generals are saying. I know offensive operations are hard, but I also know the Russians are very worn down. They're poorly trained. They are giving up in droves. And I'm going to explain in either the next segment about a small offensive operation that has already happened. We're going to cover two confirmed instances of Russians already beginning to run, as I like to say, or Russians running already. The first one is a CNN story from several days ago, where they reported on several instances of Russian troops evacuating civilians from frontline settlements that they believe could be in danger. So the story uh, quotes a Russian occupation office, official, his name was Yuri Bolitsky, who said, quote, We cannot risk the safety of people and will provide funds for organized travel, lump sum payments, accommodation, and meals, adding that children would undergo rehabilitation and rest in children's camps, and... Unfortunately, this is the exact war crimes that we've talked about. The Ukrainian officials in that story say that the evacuations are being used to provide cover for the departure of Russian troops and claimed civilians are being sent to the coastal town of Berdyansk. I think I pronounced that right. Again, Berdyansk. And that Russian troops have already uh, heavily destroyed the city of Mariupol. We've covered that in depth. And so... As the CNN story you know, goes on to say, it's as yet unclear what impact these evacuations, which affects about 1,600 people, will have on Moscow's ability to hold frontline towns, but as CNN says, it is a sign of possible weakness, and it does remind the readers that in recent Ukrainian offensives, Russian positions have collapsed very suddenly, so... As the, as the article says, at the best, these mass departures are recognition by Russian forces that the fight ahead of them will likely be intense, intense, which is, of course, an understatement. So, Russians are literally already beginning to pull back. They're already beginning to pull back or take or force evacuate Ukrainian officials because the Russians know what is about to happen. That's my view. Again, that's my opinion. It doesn't go with some of the others who are out there talking about this, or even the Ukrainian officials. But to me, the Russians are already worried about it. They already know they're about to get hammered. And so they are already beginning to remove citizens from frontline settlements. One of them is called Polahoy. And so I've got that linked in the uh, uh, notes if you want to go take a look at it. So CNN has already documented that there's at least a dozen Frontline settlements that Russians are evacuating and that Russian troops are beginning to move back. The second instance that I definitely wanted to document, and there's video evidence of this one. This again in, involves the private military company that's been doing a lot of the fighting near Bakhmut. We've talked about this company a lot. It's Wagner, it's led by Progozin. And you can watch, I put, I embedded the YouTube video. If you have a couple of minutes, it is worth watching as a small front of Bakhmut literally collapses. And Prigozhin is interviewed on video and he is so angry. And someone has meshed up video from Ukrainian troops with this tank, several armored personnel carriers. Ukrainian troops are advancing forward. They're firing into trenches. The Ukrainian tank is running over Russian positions. You can see Russian fighters running for their lives, surrendering. It's literally, and Prigozhin is just so mad about this as he blames the Russian military because, of course, Prigozhin believes Wagner is a better fighting force, which it probably is, than some of the conscripts. So go watch this video if you have a couple of minutes. But the big offensive hasn't even happened And Russia is already, across the front line, its troops are beginning to lose their nerve. They're already beginning to back up. They're already beginning to flee. If you look on social media, there are again, you can find numerous videos of just the last few days of Russian soldiers who are surrendering. One of them surrenders to a drone. It was kind of reminiscent of the desert storm footage when Iraqi soldiers surrendered to a CNN news crew. They were desperate to just give up. They didn't want to fight for Saddam Hussein, and it's starting to happen with Russia. They don't want to fight and die for Putin. They can see how horrible the situation is. And, I mean, at some point, if if there's not even a fair fight, you know, most, most humans want to give up, especially if you're not fighting on your homeland. So you can find the drone video very easily if you want. The interesting thing of the drone video And there was another video that I almost thought about putting in the notes where a crew surrenders its tank and Russians literally fire on it. But the same thing happened with a gentleman who was surrendering to the drone. His own troops, his own buddies were firing at him as he tried to get away to give up. So the order for Russians to continue to fire on those who try to surrender obviously is still in effect. And I mean, how horrible is that that you might have to shoot at one of your buddies because he wants to surrender? So... But the bigger point is, here's two already concrete instances of small, in in the Bakhmut one, the second one I mentioned was a very small, limited attack, and they took 2,000 meters like it was nothing. This wasn't a brigade, this was literally, in the video, there's only one tank and three armored personnel carriers, that's like less than a platoon, so it's about 30 troops, and they easily routed the Russians, so I am in the position that I don't agree with the Ukrainian leaders or the uh, Western generals who say that we shouldn't expect much. I still think the Russians are gonna get absolutely routed and their army could collapse. So we'll see, we'll keep you posted on that. I always try to make very clear what my opinion is and I try to make sure I'm being very fair in case I'm wrong. Let's move from the front lines back to what's happening in some of the civilian areas. Russia did, since the last podcast, they have launched their biggest kamikaze drone attack to date. These are those Iranian drones that are relatively uh, slow, they're the uh, Shaheed kamikaze drones. They're, we talked about them several months ago. They have a single propeller, they fly, like I said, relatively slow. So. Russia launched the largest drone attack to date. More than 60 of them were launched toward Kyiv. It took over four hours for them as they kind of made their way in. At least 36 of them were destroyed over Kyiv, but there was falling debris. So the Ukrainian defenses were pretty strong. But as I've heard one uh, media official who had, was had been talking to some Ukrainian civilians. They've had many nights. If you think about the last two weeks we've talked about, there have been so many air attacks on Kyiv. And so, unfortunately, even though the casualties have been low, the Ukrainian people are pretty, you know, just exhausted. There's a lot of nights of a lot of air raids, a lot of anxiety, a lot of kids not being able to sleep. It just really disrupts the civilian routine. So even though the defenses from Ukraine are doing very well, I mean, these poor people have still endured two very hard weeks of lots of aerial attacks and alarms at night and so you can imagine what it's like to go you know quite a few nights in a row having your sleep interrupted or broken up by sirens and the kind of fear that it would in create both for yourself but especially for your kids so obviously it's a uh, just a horrible thing that they're having to endure but I am glad that you Ukrainian air defenses are continually improving On this next topic, I gotta say, so this is an update to last week's story, but the following has already happened, but I still feel the need to report it just because I did report on this last week. So if you remember last week, the head of Wagner, Prigozin, was just screaming that if he didn't get ammunition for his private contractors, he would pull them back from Bakhmut. Well, earlier this week, he got it, and so he was bragging that they would again start fighting hard to try to take Bakhmut and the funny part is Prigozhin was saying that the goal was to try to take Bakhmut before the big annual parade and celebration that Russia likes to do for to celebrate the end of World War 2. So he puts out this video, he says they got the ammunition they needed, they were going to continue their assault. And so that was kind of big news for a day or so earlier this week on Monday and Tuesday. And then um But unfortunately, Ukraine counterattacked in small area. And then like a day later, he is screaming at how mad he is that the Russian troops had fallen back and been pushed back so easily, which, of course, in defense of him, you can't attack forward if your flanks aren't secure. So I get why he was mad. But I did want to update since, you know, it was a big story last week on whether he would get this ammunition and he was attacking Russian logistics. Well, he got his ammunition, but it didn't matter. Ukraine has already pushed back some of his flanks. And so I did put that in the source notes just so you would have that because, hey, it was it was news, and um, it, it's definitely worth reporting. While we are talking about their big parade and celebration that they had hoped to have for this year, it has happened, and my goodness was that a dud. This is something Russia does every year, especially since Putin has started to prioritize it and it celebrates the end of World War II and normally there's this massive parade with military jets flying over and tanks going down the middle of the street and lots of troops marching and this year was not quite so great. So I actually have a photo in the source notes, it's almost worth looking at. In 2019 there's these long line of T-90 tanks. These are the most advanced tanks that Russia has. They are impressive. They're something that NATO has taken very serious in the past and worried about. And this year, their line of tanks involved a single tank. A single tank, and you can see the photo of it. And it's a uh, T-34 from literally, it's so old, it's, it's basically an antique. But you ought to see how small the barrel on it is. I mean, this tank is one, they call it the T-34. It is literally the tank that they used during World War II. So there's just one of them, and it has these weird stickers on it. But the mockery is just, it's just huge that they only had this one tank. And another thing that happened is they have these, typically in this parade, is there's something called uh, Immortal Regiment Processions. And they're usually like, You send lots of troops in there, and it's to remember slain soldiers who are, in theory, immortal, or their memory will go on forever. Well, Vladimir Putin was afraid that the mothers of slain soldiers who had died in this offensive operation and illegal operation in Ukraine would insist that their sons be honored in it as well. So he didn't even have one of the biggest parts of it, which was this immortal regiment uh, parade. So... The Immortal Regiment procession parade part canceled. No flyovers, only one tank. Even more embarrassing, because there was the drone attack on the Kremlin, they literally had Red Square locked down for two weeks beforehand to make sure there were no bombs or anything planted. So there's two weeks of locking it down, and then very little of the public was even allowed to enter or to, to watch the parade. So this is a very diminished appearance for russia i'm sure that vladimir putin was just livid about it and i have in the source notes if you want to get into some of the weeds on how embarrassing the parade was there was an article on cnbc that said uh, putin's one tank military parade was an embarrassment for russia analysts say and then it goes into some of the details about how they typically are and what it was this year and then vice had an article that said Russia's victory parade or Victory Day parade featured just one tank and no paratroopers and he goes into some of the details about how normally there are some elite troops that are used and you know Russia really wants to look very strong and dominant in this parade well unfortunately all the elite troops are either in Ukraine or have already been wounded or killed uh, some of the best forces that Russia had have already literally been slaughtered in that initial assault where they went down to uh, Kyiv. And in fact, some of their paratroop units were pushed forward in front of the armored columns and were decimated by literally not National Guard units of Ukraine. So these weren't even some of Ukraine's best units, and they just absolutely tore apart some of the Russia's best troops. So there were no paratroopers. There was just one tank. And the Russians were even forced to use cadets, uh, Recent graduates out of high school and cadets and then old veterans in part of their marching. They they literally don't even have good troops for a parade in Moscow. So if you want to know how worried and scared Putin must feel at, at night, just imagine one tank being used in Moscow right now and a bunch of cadets because he doesn't have the troops he used to have to even guard himself. Hopefully you found all of that part as humorous as I did. I had to talk about the parade because <laughs> it's it's an embarrassment. Definitely go to the source notes. Take a look at that photo. It will make your day. Now, in other news, Ukraine uh, is saying its newly fielded U.S. Patriot system down to Russian hypersonic missile. So that was a big deal. I've got a little short article that's linked to it in the source notes if you want to go take a look at that. But that is the first time that any missile has shot down, you know, a a missile that, these hypersonic missiles that have been talked about in the defense news for a bit, I've talked about them a little bit in the past year or two, but they can travel up to 10 times the speed of sound, and they do that to evade, to, uh, evade air defenses, but in this case, the Ukrainians actually literally shot one down, so that's a big deal, and it also is a, you know, a good example of the I don't know how else to say it, but the superiority of Western West, uh, Western weapons systems that they were able to pull that off because a lot of analysts have been worried about these hypersonic missiles. If they were to be used against the U.S. either by China or Russia, how could we shoot them down? And we now have evidence that we can shoot them down. And that's with older equipment that we handed to the Ukrainians. We may even have better stuff than that. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, Please sign up for email notifications. It's free to do so unless you choose to subscribe and support what I'm doing. Make sure to visit my website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanormitchell.substack.com. From there, you can subscribe to the show by email so you'll never miss a future show. Again, that's free. Or you can support the show and help me reach my dreams by signing up for a $5 per month subscription. People are always asking me on social media how to best support my dreams, including getting out future books sooner, which I promise you I'm trying to do. Believe me, the best way to support me is by signing up for a paid subscription on my Substack page. Long term, becoming a full-time author again would provide more time for me to write fiction, cover news, and try to unite the country and motivate others. And these are all things I feel drawn to do, which my regular listeners definitely know. So again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com, or you can sign up at Patreon or Venmo. All of these links can be found on my Substack page, and obviously you can cancel at any time. So let's move to China. The U.S. and China held a series of some high-level meetings this weekend. I wanted to share both the good and the bad news from that. So if you look on the Department of State website, you will not see any press releases, any release of official remarks. And that's not necessarily a good thing in most instances, because the State Department is always trying to be a cheerleader. They are the department that is most most focused on peace, whereas the Department of Defense is most focused on being ready for military operations. So nothing listed on the Department of State website, which is speaks volumes, in my opinion, that these meetings did not go well. And on social media, if you looked on Twitter, there was only one little thing. Our ambassador, Nicholas Burns, posted a photo of this meeting with the foreign minister, and uh, he says, We discussed challenges in the U.S.-China relationship and the necessity of stabilizing ties and expanding high-level communication. So again, all he says is, the challenges in the U.S.-China relationship, and the necessity of stabilizing ties and expanding high-level communication. Now, obviously, all of that is good. Communication is always good. But I dug a little more, and there was an AP article that came out from the meeting. So our State Department says nothing. Our ambassador says almost nothing, except that clearly there are challenges and we need to communicate. But there is an AP article where... The headline, I mean, the headline sets the tone. China tells U.S. to, quote, reflect deeply, end quote, over downturn in ties. And the article goes on to say that uh, China's foreign minister told the U.S. ambassador on Monday that Washington is responsible for the downturn in relations between the two countries and that it must reflect deeply. And so this is not a good situation at all, Uh The foreign minister from China, he told Ambassador Burns that, quote, a series of erroneous words and deeds by the U.S. have occurred since the meeting in November between um, President um, Joe Biden and the Chinese leader Xi Jinping. um, And so that these things have undermined the hard-won positive momentum. So, not good. And it's not good when one side is... Trying to blame everything on the other side and not taking any responsibility for what is happening. Um, the Washington Post remind, had an article as well. I read it. It reminded readers of the history of the damage to date and as well as what the future steps, what future steps might be a possibility. I wanted to read just a couple of, of graphs from that story. The meeting may pave the way for more senior-level exchanges after high-level contacts between Beijing and Washington were frozen following the discovery of a suspected surveillance balloon floating over the United States in February. I know that was only just three months ago, guys, but, like, a lot's happened since then. But you remember what a big story that was when that balloon was going over the U.S. Back to the story. The balloon, which which Beijing claimed was for scientific purposes caused Secretary of State Antony Blinken to cancel a trip to Beijing that was seen as a key step in arresting a worsening rivalry between the two st- the two countries. Beijing and Washington have been at odds over Taiwan, uh, U.S. curbs on Chinese technology, and Beijing's partnership with Moscow throughout the war in Ukraine. So, that's a pretty good summary of the meetings that happened, and Basically, nothing good happened. And so we've got like the, this is like the married couple. Although I don't know if China and the U.S. was ever even to the point of being married. But you've got either the husband or wife is, you know, the divorce is about to happen. And the husband and wife is screaming at the counselor who's trying to save things that it's all the other person's fault. So this is not a good, good stage of where we should be when one side is totally blaming the other side and not taking any responsibility for it. So I keep hoping, I always say this, that China will start to see some, see that the course that it's kind of headed toward with a potential confrontation of Taiwan is very risky, very bad, would be horrible for its economy, and that there is no certain outcome. So I keep hoping they will turn away, but so far... They just continue to uh, be you know to move forward with blinder zone. In Middle East news, I definitely wanted to cover one thing just briefly, which is that the Arab League is readmitting Syria as its relations with the longtime criticized leader of Syria, Bashar al-Assad, is increasingly he's being increasingly normalized. And so I think the big news from that really is that, you know, in 10 plus years of civil war, he has held on to power, even though he lost, you know, what, half his country or so. Um, But the reality is, is I think this was a big success story for Russia, because unfortunately, Russia moved in some troops and some air power to help stabilize the situation for uh, Bashar uh, Bashar al-Assad. They never abandoned him And so Putin is able to keep an ally, an important ally, in the Middle East on his side. And the U.S. got a little, um, I guess they just didn't want to get sucked into it. And it did involve more than one president on those decisions. But um, it goes back to, obviously, back to Obama and then Trump. And neither side really wanted to engage enough with some of the leaders who were part of the independent-type movement in Syria, because some of them had some gray ties to potential terrorists, and um, and then the whole ISIS thing happened, and so it's just been a mess over there. But the bottom line is the president of Syria, Bashar al-Assad, has held on, and he is increasing, increasingly uh, strengthening his position, and as the Middle East begins to welcome him and create more trade ties and all, he will probably just further strengthen his position, and the bottom line is is he held on to power. That's the bottom line. All right, so let's move from that Middle East story to, I wanted to start kind of something new this week, just some world news briefs, because every week there are things I don't get time to talk about in the podcast, and it's impossible to know which of these, if any of these, will matter, but sometimes there will be something I didn't cover, and it ends up being news, and then I kick myself that I didn't give you guys a head up heads up so i don't have time to cover these five things but i'm putting links in the source notes if you want to go take a look at them and so here are five world news briefs that i think could matter between now and next week or perhaps they won't one is that the nuclear plant in ukraine which is occupied by the russians is facing some possible staffing crunch um, as the russians are evacuating some of the workers there i've got a link to that story That's definitely one that um, is probably worth keeping an eye on. A lot of people are panicking about it. Now the reactors are shut down. So to me, it's not as big a deal, but it could be a big deal. So that's the first one. The second one, we talked a lot about Sudan the last few weeks and the evacuations there. Uh, There have been ongoing peace talks, and they've made some progress. And uh, in fact, their leaders are, for the first time, going to do an in-person meeting between the two of the rivals so that could be you know that's good news for sure for Sudan and for the stability of the area and obviously for the Americans who are still there the third one is there has been increased fighting in Israel uh, hundreds of rockets have been fired from Gaza into Israel Israel starting to respond with some deadly airstrikes which are far more powerful that is always a hot spot that could always lead to some type of ground incursion from Israel. It could, you know, go back to like normal and not be anything for a few days, or it could get much uglier. But I feel like that's a story that you could run almost any any week. But that's the uh, third one. The fourth one is Pakistan is definitely on edge. Uh, their ex prime minister was charged with corruption, and a lot of his followers are doing massive protests and like attacking military bases the video footage is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty strong to say the least. So Pakistan is definitely trying to deal with that unrest. And then finally, I did want to mention that there was a journalist that was killed in Ukraine. That was the 11th one that was killed. And there are tributes pouring in. I have a link to that story. That's always a little bit sad because these journalists definitely put themselves in very dangerous situations to cover a story that without people being brave enough to do that to go into places unarmed and carrying nothing but a video camera and a pad and and pen, we wouldn't know half of what was going on on some of these things and especially as a former journalist i totally respect those who are, are willing to take such a risk and that was the 11th journalist that's been killed covering this war and so um link is there definitely remember that individual in your in your prayers We're going to begin the motivation and wisdom section with a little pep talk because someone out there needs to hear this. I know someone out there needs to hear this. Listen, life is passing you by. You only get one shot at life and you're letting it slip through your fingers day by day. Life has beaten you down, kicked you in the face, ignored you, punished you, rained on you, assailed you with illnesses and injuries. Burden you with debts and levels of despair that I know are breaking your spirit. But you have to get up. Do you hear me? You have to get up. You're going to get up, and you're going to get up now, and you're going to start fighting back. Do not let despair win. Get up and take a step forward to confront these things facing you right now. Do it now. And let the following items that I'm going to share lift your spirit And take you to a higher level you can do this you're meant to do this and you have to do this for yourself for your family for your creator and with all of that being said i truly hope these help pick up your spirits that they help revive your hopes and that they help make you a better person i hope that pep talk helped motivate you and wake you up and now that you're paying attention let's share a few more items to help feed and motivate you here's the first one Don't rush the process. Allow yourself to grow at your own pace. Stop comparing your progress to other people's. Next one. Hard times will pass and you'll grow stronger. Keep the faith and move forward. Next one. You attract what you are, not what you want. If you want great, be great. That is just an incredible one there. Next one, the less you respond to negative people, the more peaceful your life will become. Again, that one was the less you respond to negative people, the more peaceful your life will become. Next one, if your thoughts are turning negative, stop, take a deep breath, think of something or someone you love that brings you joy. Hold that thought, smile, move on, enjoy the rest of your day with a positive mindset. So again, if your thoughts are turning negative, stop. Take a deep breath. Think of something or someone you love that brings you joy. Hold that thought. Smile. Move on. Enjoy the rest of your day with a positive mindset. Next one. I didn't come this far to only come this far. Ooh, that's a good one, isn't it? Oh, that's a great one. I didn't come this far to only come this far. Next one, your dream doesn't have an expiration date. Take a deep breath and try again. Again, your dream doesn't have an expiration date. Take a deep breath and try again. Next one, don't rush the process. Trust it. Great things take time. Again, don't rush the process. Next one, worrying does not take away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. Is that a great one or what? Worrying does not take away tomorrow's trouble. It takes away today's peace. Next one. I'm proud of the person I'm becoming. My mindset has changed. My priorities have changed. My taste has changed. My tolerance has changed. I'm evolving. That's a good one. Give yourself some credit. Next one. Push through the pain. Giving up hurts more. It's another great one, isn't it? Next one. Thoughts generate more thoughts on their own. When we spend time thinking about negative things, our mind generates more and more negative thoughts. When we spend time thinking about positive things, our mind generates more and more positive thoughts. So we need to flip the switch, right? Go from negative to positive. Next one. Your values are what you do when no one is looking Again, your values are what you do when no one is looking. Next one. Don't practice until you get it right. Practice until you can't get it wrong. It's a great one, isn't it? Don't practice until you get it right. Practice until you can't get it wrong. Yeah, that is a great one. All right, next one. If you are looking for true success, don't worry about social status. Don't waste your precious time and energy trying to impress others. Live below your means. That combined with hard work and persistence is what will take you to the top. Love that one. Next one. Stop calling it your dream and start calling it your plan. That's another good one. Stop calling it your dream and start calling it your plan. Okay, next one. Visualization is more important than knowledge. That is another deep one. Visualization is more important than knowledge. It's just something about self-belief, isn't there? And sometimes, uh, sometimes those who don't even have the right book knowledge or experience, they just believe, and so they just keep trying and keep hammering against that wall. So again, that one was: visualization is more important than knowledge. Next one, three r- rules of thumb to life. One, ain't nothing easy. Two, never take your first no for an answer. Three, everything is built on a personal relationship. That is really good. And that was an answer from a uh, army colonel named Mike Jason who answered a question on Twitter, which was, what's something a boss told you that has stuck with you your entire career? And uh, Colonel uh, Jason did 30 years in the Army. So again, those three were three rules of thumb. Ain't nothing easy. Never take your first no for an answer. Everything is built on a personal relationship. Next one. Opportunities don't happen. You create them. Again, opportunities don't happen. You create them. Next one. Don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle That is a great one, isn't it? Don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. We all need to get away from comparison. Next one. If you don't separate yourself from distractions, your distractions will separate you from your goals and the life you want. I think this one was probably written for TikTok and all those other distractions out there. Again, if you don't separate yourself from distractions, your distractions will separate you from the goals and the life you want. This is a kind of a deep one. Life is like an EKG. Without the ups and downs, you are not living. <laughs> That's a great one, isn't it? Life is like an EKG reading. That's all, you know. You see someone with a heart monitor, it's going up and down. Without the ups and downs, you are not living. Next one. The best kind of people are the ones that come into your life and make you see the sun where you once saw clouds. The people that believe in you so much you start to believe in you too. The people that love you simply for being you. The once in a lifetime kind of people. It's a good one. Next one. Don't use your energy to worry, use your energy to believe, create, trust, grow, and heal. It's a great one. If you're worrying about an exam, a test, something coming up, don't use your energy to worry. Use your energy to believe, create, trust, grow, and heal. And I'd probably add the word prepare. But again, no point in wasting the energy worrying. Actually do something to reduce the worry and to increase your chances of success. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10 plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for 9 years, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news, and I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, .substack stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. Finally, I should mention my books. I've written 11 of them. You can find all of those books on Amazon by simply searching my name, Stan R. Mitchell, or you can find a link to them in the Substack notes. Again, thanks so much, guys, for joining us this week. And with that, I am out.